Are you ready for a travel adventure? How about an exciting trip to Venice or an exhilarating experience in Bangkok? Maybe you were more about a culinary adventure in Barcelona or just a relaxing day cruising the canals of Amsterdam. Join the Professor Travel as he invites you on an epic excursion, one that has you traveling the globe with him. Come and experience a world of culture, a world of history and architecture, a world of food and experiences to broaden your mind and save you time and money as you travel. Learn more, discuss more, travel more, and enjoy life more. And now your host, The Professor Travel. Greetings, students, and welcome to this episode of The Professor Travel. I am your host, The Professor Travel, coming to you from Orange County, California. This is the website, the vlog, and the podcast that you come to in order to learn more about different travel destinations. This is where you come to hopefully discuss them and come together as a community. Hopefully, this will inspire you to travel more and enjoy life more. Now, you can reach me at a variety of different social media sites, starting first and foremost with my social media site um, and my... and obviously my website, which is theprofessortravel.com. On YouTube, Facebook, and on TikTok, you can reach me at theprofessortravel. On Instagram, you can reach me at the underscore professor underscore travel. If you're a Twitter, -er -er -er, then you can reach me on the, then you can reach me there at theprofessortr1. And if you're a blogger, you can reach me at theprofessortravel.blogspot.com. Today, I am so very excited to introduce you to a visiting professor of ours, a returning professor of ours, mm -hmm. uh, Justin Neper. Hi, how are you doing, Justin? Great, thank you. Thank you so much for coming back. Um, for those of you who have not had the opportunity to see the previous video, Justin and I did a video, I think it was, um, it posted last November, I want to say, mm -hmm. where you had just, you had just gotten back from a, a trip to Portugal. And in that time now, you've actually moved to Portugal. And so uh, part of this video is going to be to discuss what that process looks like for someone who's maybe a, a U.S. native moving out of the country and what, that's whole, what, that, what that looks like. So I'm very excited to learn more about that. But before we get started, can you just discuss a little bit of your credentials with um, my students, the listeners, please? Absolutely. Uh, in a nutshell, you know, I'm born and uh, raised in California, San Diego specifically, lived up and down the coast. Most recently in San Francisco, most of my career was in banking. Uh, and then education, I was a big old nerd. Um, I have a um, master's in English and management, but mostly it was around you know, creative, creativity and engaging with people. So um, you know, I had a lot of experiences in my career, corporate and volunteer work, uh, but also a lot of that was um, travel. Travel, not just for work, but personal pleasure. And that's where it led us to Portugal. Um, and travel to many continents uh, from Japan to Africa to uh, throughout Europe. And um, now we continue the trek in our next phase of life. So that's where we are today. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about what prompted a move. So talk to me a little bit about why, why you even thought about wanting to move to Portugal. It's got, that's a huge commitment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it came out of uh, our, just our passion. Me and my husband both both love to travel. And when we first met and as we progressed in our relationship and traveling together, I think it was always on our radar, even from like my 20s, um, that I wanted to live abroad. And the more and more I visited Europe, Europe was definitely a central post that I really wanted to land, um, mainly because it was so easy to travel throughout the European nations and other adjacent countries. Um, so I think that was first and foremost in my mind why I was focused 
focusing on that mentally. Um, the last couple of years where we decided to move on, we got married and we wondered where's our, our next phase on like taking us, what's our permanent move? We realized it was a really good time based on our age and our careers that both of us, well, he retired and I semi-retired from the corporate world and became my own entrepreneur. That's what prompted the actual move. It was saying, okay, we're done with this part of our lives. I'm moving on to the travel portion, enjoying life, and discovering what my creativity is for my entrepreneurship. Um, and that's what led us to Europe. And Portugal specifically, as I mentioned in our last discussion and in in the trips here, it was research. And the research led to a checklist of what's important for us. And every viewer would could agree that you know, what are you what is your intent for moving? Is there a cultural experience? Is it a better quality of life? Is affordability? What is it? And for us, it was many of those things, and those uh, created a list that led to Portugal. Affordability, the people, the culture, and the location. Excellent. And you live in a really, really nice area. We'll get into that in just a second. But yeah. for, for me, and, and, and talk to me about this, because this is how I, I feel about the whole thought. You know, there's a psychological component that comes to this. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, this is a major, major thing in your life. Yeah. Moving, and I've helped you with your moves before locally. <laughs> moving, yeah. moving, moving from one city to another is not a big deal. Moving even from yeah. one state to another may, may be a little bit of a thing, but it's not super large. But moving mm-hmm. out of the country, there's a huge level of commitment that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. Were there any psychological or, um, you know, uh, discussions that you and your husband had about, you know, gosh, is this the right time? Are we doing this at the right moment? Uh, th- th- talk to me a little bit about the struggles that go along with that too. I think that what we mentally prepared ourselves for, and everybody's different, where we are, as I mentioned before, in our careers, we're ready to transition out of that. So we're ready to walk away from our normal day-to-day activity. And what no- the new norm would be for us required an adventure. We are adventurers. And so mentally, we're ready for that adventure. I think where we all kept checking in with each other was, and we read about this expats and people living abroad, not just for short term, but with the intent to live long term. Um, like you said before, moving from city to city or state to state in the U.S., you don't think of a lot of little things. You don't have to change a lot of things other than utilities and things like that. When you move to another country, you're really reinventing your life, literally. I mean, it's everything from records, social security numbers, uh, health numbers, registering everywhere. It is really saying uprooting and saying, what is my new established life? Here's my name. And I was born in the state. And that's all you walk in with, literally. And you got to figure out what the country requires for you to establish um, residency, citizenship, and what that entails, which you always have established in your U.S. life. So I think mental check-in was, okay, do we have our list? As long as we understand where we're going and that there'll be some of your um, challenges and bureaucracy mm-hmm. and understanding, I don't see you're giving up anything, but you're transitioning out of certain things you're used to. So don't get frustrated as you go along. And that was really healthy for us mentally because we are here four months now mm-hmm. and we still we had a rough week this week in the sense that there were like 15 things were like oh this is so much bureaucracy <laughs> today we saw half of them like okay this is what we knew we we're going to do we we're four months into it and we did this during covid we're doing pretty good um, yeah. and that's the mental factor that checking points with your partner whoever you're with or if you're on your own understanding that that transition mentally to another country there's a lot of moving pieces, but stay focused on the end game. It sounds like the communication, not only between you and your partner, was really important mm-hmm. during this transition, but also you brought up this, um, ex, you know, this expat um, communication mm-hmm. that you've also uh, yeah. been, been resolving with. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. 
I think it's fantastic. I think a lot of communities around the world um, established this. In Portugal, we had a fantastic one. It was relatively new. It was only a couple of years old in Facebook. It was an expat, you know, American and friends of Portugal. So a lot of more Americans, but a lot of them from other parts of the world. And what was really nice is that we weren't moving to join a community of Americans. We're going to settle down to be American in another country. These people all have the same mindset of being, uh going into the culture and understanding the people and understanding the language. What we really enjoyed about this group and these are similar groups out there is that these groups understand what you're going through, but they also understand it's a moving target. It's different for everybody. Yeah. So it wasn't like, here's a list of everything you need. Just follow the system. and everything go great. Um, aside from COVID, which obviously mixed things up, um, you know, Portugal and their embassies and other countries, they changed the rules, changed the requirements. They said, here's what we've done most recently. We'll update you as soon as possible. And then connecting us with people that have just been here, are going here, um, are planning to go. And then we share stories. So I think it's sharing the experience from the sense of, I'm going to share this information. Here's what I know as of today. How can I help you connect with somebody? And that led to the further um, connection with local individuals that grew up in Portugal that are here as our friends. So I think those groups mentally help you prepare. They help you with resources, but also they help you with just general support. Saying, no, I understand that. Let me see. And we found people that were reached out to government agencies for us, reached out to attorneys for us when we needed to. When we were trying to get here during COVID, we had people reaching out to the airport. Can they fly in? Do they need a test? They were that invested in us. And that happens all the time. Wonderful. Okay. So you're traveling to another country. What do mm-hmm. you bring? How do you pack for something like this? This has got to be a major life shift, you know, yeah. stuff to stuff to sell, stuff not to sell. Yeah. I think that there's I we've <coughs> narrowed it down to two groups of people that move out of the country, move to another country. There's two groups of type of people that move. There's the ones that whatever I can fit in my bag, that's what I'm taking, and then that's it. It's like I'm done. I'm I'm relinquishing everything. Those are the minimalists, if you will. Or those individuals understand that your memories are can be digitized and there's other things, but they're not, you know, I need all these material things. I want to and uh acclimate and get everything new in the country. I can do that. That's that one camp. Move with whatever's on your back. Then there's those that I need to bring certain stuff. There's obviously families that move that need certain things. So there's the the shippers, as I call them. So <laughs> the whole process, you got your packers and you got your shippers. And so the shippers were, um, you know, to advise them what you should bring. And I, I always tell people this. I said, well, the big things are for Portugal, furniture is really different. It's smaller. You're not going to find what you're used to. So if you can't live with that, bring certain pieces like this and you'll be fine. Uh, if you're looking for certain medications or things that might be a little more expensive, stock up on this and ask friends to bring it later. Um, you know, those are the kind of things you say, you know, everything else you can buy here relatively cheap or you want to buy things that are here, electronics and things that are be compatible. So I think that we were packers. We were saying, you know what? We were minimalist anyways. We sold everything we could. We didn't bring a stick of furniture. We had about four bags we still need to bring, mostly of books. But we said, it's mainly our clothes. So you didn't have to purchase anything new from that standpoint. And we're ready to, and we'll talk about this minute accommodations when you're here. Mm-hmm. Everything else is how can you transition yourself to a new life and rebuild those material things that you do need to live. So, um, and again, these expat groups help those that are shippers saying, what should I bring? How should I bring it? There's a whole community for that and advice on how to do it because every country is different in their custom requirements. Um, that can be a little tricky. Yeah. Now, did you were in San Francisco. Did you guys actually yes. have a car or did you use the BART system or public transportation and stuff like that? Uh, 
I, he, my partner had done a car for like 15 years and I sold mine about three or four years ago. So we were basically in public transit. So we were used to it in a major okay. city and being in a European country, you're mostly going to depend on that. Okay. Cause I remember when I moved to Jersey city, I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. when I moved to New Jersey, I had a car and there would be months at a time. I would have it in, in parking. Cause it's like, I don't exactly. use it. I just use the light rail or I use whatever. So, I mean, it's just it yeah. making more sense that way. What about pets? Did you guys have any pets or anything like that? I, we did have, we have a lot of friends that brought pets over my pet. Unfortunately, she was about 12, 13 years old. So we thought, you know what? She's healthy, but don't put her through the stress. And our roommate was happy to adopt. So we were oh, very happy okay. to have a home for her. It was great. We transitioned to her, but the friends that we had that brought pets, cats and dogs, um, overall, it's a pretty, I want to say easy process for small animals. You can carry them on the plane. Other ones, it's a little more tricky for bigger animals. Um, but I think for Portugal itself, all I can say is it seemed like there wasn't really any barriers to get them in here as long as you have the right paperwork. Okay. It's all a process of your last veterinary check, blah, blah, blah. They didn't bring any diseases, things like that. Do they also so, have provisions for uh, service animals, do you know? Is that something that they do? I'm not... Uh, as far as having a service animal in the city, yeah, uh, going with you, um, I have not experienced that. I haven't seen a lot of that. They are very, as a culture here, they're very um, accommodating and make sure people need what they have what they need. But I haven't been into restaurants because of COVID as much. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen like, do I have a service dog in there? They have a lot of outdoor seating, so it's never really an issue for having animals outdoors. Yeah, and that's as much as I know. We are researching it, so when we launch our blog, we'll have a piece about um, for you know travelers that are handicapped or um, uh, other enabled that is it a safe place to go, other accommodations. So hopefully, we'll follow up on that question. Yeah, thank you. And then at the same time, you talked earlier about, um, you know, this is the time of COVID, obviously. Yeah. Flying, flying, to, flying in and out of the country, that's got to be a navigating nightmare. Talk to me about how you arrange the flights and making all that done within this time frame. I think ideally, aside from COVID time, it would be, you know, if you're traveling internationally and it's a big move, get the flight least stops as possible. That's always been an advice to travel, especially at far away. You're going to have all this stuff. You're going to be tired. Get one long haul, or at least no more than one stop. Get there and get settled. because That's going to be the big challenge. Um, what we experience is a lot of rescheduling, obviously, what was open, what was our clearest path to get there, what was the safest route. So we ended up going through two stops, which was a little lengthy of a journey. Um, but when we did it, uh, it was um, in May. So things just kind of opened up. And we yeah. basically had the frame. When we landed in Frankfurt for a six-hour layover, it was a surreal experience because we basically, for five of the six hours, the airport was almost empty. I mean, imagine we're on an airport <laughs> inside of Frankfurt. It was just a, a desert. And we like, okay, take our masks off, hang out. But that's unusual. Some friends just went through Frankfurt and said it was pretty busy. It was busy as a weekday in a normal airport in the U.S. was um, with all the safety precautions. So I think that for travelers getting back into flying or looking, um, airports are pretty safe. Um, airplanes, I think, are doing the right thing for the most part. Um, I don't think you're going to have a problem. Just you know, be aware of where you're flying through, and, you know, and that's what you just have to watch for. Okay. So let's then switch it up. Okay. So you just arrived in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You, did you have to get your apartment? The, well, is the apartment, is it a condo? What, what do you have? Uh, the accommodations, it depends on where you're going in the rules. Typically they need to have at least a six month contract here okay. with an apartment. Um, what we did, we did the extra mile and decided to make it a little tougher on ourselves. And this is when we arranged it before COVID. We, you know, typically you go into country, you'd want to get a furnished place first, even if we're temporary. We were going to do an Airbnb, six months, what have you. I'd always recommend that for people who move to another country, especially if you don't know where you're going to buy or live long term. 
get something that at least is minimally furnished. Don't look to buy furniture right away. Yeah. We found this excellent apartment through a friend. Long story short, we love it. So we came, she lent us a futon and a couple of chairs. And that's what we had for the first two weeks. Very challenging, but you know, first world problems, if you will. And we had to build our house from the ground up. So um, our accommodations were set and we had an apartment and we just furnished it as much as we could throughout the last four months. Um, but again, bottom line is when you're moving to another country, unless you've bought something right away, which I never recommend unless you've been to that country a million times, rent a place furnished for at least three to six months till you get settled. That's a really important factor. Okay. Are you looking to actually make a purchase or like, I know, like, for example, in Mexico, mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. actually... I, I don't know if they can purchase, they can lease up to 99 years or something like that. Do they have something uh, similar in Portugal or is it just, you could purchase without any issues? You can purchase without any issues. You can purchase before you get here. They have all sorts of programs supporting that. Um, we personally, um, we're planning to spend at least a year where we are right now here in Porto on the coast. Mm-hmm. We're already loving it. We want to see, we like it. We'll house the winter. Um, but we're going to explore other cities as our friends explore. It. And the idea is to either move to another location, just a little longer for renting, but definitely on the horizon within the next year or two i'll probably end up buying one because it's so affordable we're already living in the country and two we just happen to be in a climate and atmosphere where mortgages worldwide but especially here are so affordable it doesn't make sense not to invest if you can and are willing to you know take up roots so there's no issues purchasing here it's a little different process in real estate here it's a little bit more upfront investment for legal mm-hmm. but in the end it's such a cheap interest it's like wow and um, it's it's a, it's the path we're going to take, probably most likely eventually. I want to talk about two things that I didn't actually put on here. One is huh? you have the euro there, but it's yep. but it's but the, but your the value of your dollar or mm-hmm. stretch is much better in Portugal because of the mm-hmm. cost of living expenses. Yeah. So I want to talk about that, but at the same time, I also want to set us up for another question. But let's let's talk about that really quick. So, yeah, because when I go to say the northern northern Europe, yeah, they use the euro, but the cost of living is much yeah. much higher there. So, yeah. talk to me about your planning and and budgeting for this type of a, a journey. Uh, good question. I think overall, I mean, it depends on where you're coming from, right? Where you're living in the U.S. So we came from one of the most expensive cities in the U.S. So it was a great benchmark saying, okay, everything's going to be cheaper no matter what it is here. But, you know, we sit on average in California, you know, if we went to dinner, how much this car, what groceries cost? We're still four months here and saying, man, this was cost a minimum three times the amount in the U.S. So that's how we're averaging our costs. Unless you live like in the Midwest in a low cost area, um, for the most part, if you're on a coastal city, you're going to be spending at least 50% or less or saving 50% or more in what you spend here. So our budgeting, when we came into this, looking at the research told us, okay, your day-to-day living, your rent, your utilities, here's your target. Okay. You can afford this much and here's how much you're getting for your money. And then food and entertainment. Yes, much less. And it's meeting our expectations from what our research is. So I think my takeaway from that, when people are thinking about budgeting and they're doing the research, uh, like we did it through international living. You mentioned that we had this discussion before. You know, it was one of the major first resources that said for a couple living on 1,200 euros a month, you can live and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, if you're living way outside the city. So understanding there's certain caveats to that. Take that research as a base. Get to the expat groups. Find out what they're really living off of and what you want to do. And then go from there. So our budget's actually meeting our expectations. And actually, we're saving a lot more because, again, we go back to the time we're in now. COVID prevented us from doing a lot of the travel we meant to do. 
Yeah. So we're kind of like, oh, well, we're hanging out and just not doing that yet. But it's a good opportunity for you to really get in deep with Porto. And it sounds like there's a great opportunity there. I mean, do you like travel locally to Lisbon and other places like that? Or Yeah, it's very accessible. We The only place we haven't gone to Lisbon because it's a little of a hotspot right now. But we have a lot of tours we're starting to do. There's companies and locals that we're going to day trips and overnight trips to wine country mm. and up and down the coast. So um, we will be publishing some things about, you know, these local travels because, like you said, it's a good time where we can't travel as much internationally as we're comfortable with. But this country is about the third size of California. So it's very easy to get around. Yeah. So take advantage of it. It's it's it, The country is open for business, if you will. Um, you just kind of have to monitor and everybody pretty much is following the rules. There's So you feel safer. One of the other things I didn't bring up here that mm-hmm. we've talked about previously, um, I don't think through through this medium, but I think we talked about it just through Facebook and stuff is the language and, um, mm. having, having to, <laughs> having to adapt to that because it's Portuguese. It's not oh, something you find yeah. readily in the States. So oh. talk to me about that process. It's been interesting because, um, for many people, especially in California or on the West coast, you know, no Latin languages. So if you know French, Spanish, things like that, um, it's an advantage. I knew enough Spanish to get around. My husband's Cuban, so he speaks fluent Spanish. Okay. So we started studying some Portuguese before we came. So that bear from a reading and understanding standpoint wasn't too bad because I can read about 75% and understand he's much more fluent. Um, I think someone that doesn't know any Latin language but understand, you know, heard, have heard Spanish and seen it, mm-hmm. they'll say, I recognize the words. But since it's Latin based, but when you hear it, that's the biggest challenge in Portuguese, especially continental Portuguese, not Brazilian, because there are two different um, dialects, if you will. And continental Portuguese, when you hear it, you've heard a lot of people saying, ooh, it sounds Russian, the way they say their things. And so I think that at this point, um, whatever country you go to, whatever language you're learning, you know, you always want to start with getting some basics, the like greetings, what are, what are directions. Um, I've already taken one class. I've taken a Skype course, an accelerated six-week course, which was very tiring, but it gave me some grammar basics. And we're going to be taking a full course starting mid-October in person at a local school, all government funded, which is a great program. And so I think the government, at least this government, really supports immigrants. And you're going to plan to live here. Great. To get citizenship, you have to have a certain level of competency in language. So they offer these classes. So between studying a little before, all the locals, um, for the most part, speak English to an extent. What surprised us is that you think utilities and things like that would have some more English avenues yeah. because of an expats. Not the case. So that was some of the challenges of trying to communicate and get some things set up. But um, language, hearing it, very challenging. Reading it, not so bad. So we're kind of a middle ground with Portuguese. Do you have some basic conversational uh, like? Like, can you say hello or something like that to us? Or, or? I, uh, uh, well, hola. It's hola. Similar to Spanish. Hola. So it's very similar uh, to Spanish. Bo- yeah. Bon, bon dia, bon tarde, bon noite, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Okay. Um, you know, I can probably order meals. I can say, where is this? What is this? Uh, my husband can carry on a pretty good conversation and understand about 80% of what he's hearing, depending on the dialect, that okay. uh, accent. Yeah. Uh, Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's talk about timelines because mm-hmm. planning this out is not something you just like do over the weekend. It's like, <laughs> what were your, what were your time? Our timelines were, you know, I've heard people doing it less than three months and just want to get here, which is great. That's fine for them. <laughs> but I think that 
from a practicality standpoint, everything you need to arrange from your finances to, yeah. you know, the, the embassy thing, especially in the time of COVID. Um, hopefully we won't be saying that in a couple of years. I think that there's our timeline was about, it was about two years in the planning, you know, mm. since we got married and we finally got here. Um, you know, we had a 12 month, you know, dedicated time. And by the time we get to the 12 month mark, it was okay. Things aren't still going to go in action. Yeah. We need to go out there again, get a place reserved, uh, figure out our finances, start applying at the embassies, things like that. So I think our timeline was a, a good 12 months of activity, but overall two years of planning and activity. Uh, and that's not uncommon. People that reach out to these groups, oh, I'm planning to move in a year or two, a year or two. It's always a year or two. Some are longer, but they know that within a two years of their target date, they've got to start organizing things and understanding what needs to be done. Okay. Do you have a lot of people that you know through this group that are like digital nomads or are these people who, because of their job, they moved there? Um, actually, it's interesting. A lot of people we befriended here know, a lot of them are recent retirees. Okay. They're pretty young. I mean, they, that's why they come here because they can retire younger. Um, so most of them are retired, um, but I have met a lot of nomads, the groups I've known here that um, through associations or going out to certain bars and stuff. I'm like, oh, you work at that. This is your workspace. They have a lot of co-working spaces. So <clears throat> I've, have, I've seen a mix through other countries, actually, mm. um, that landed here because they do graphic design or other things that allow them to do it online. Yeah. Cool. Now, what exactly does the citizenship process look like and what are the timelines along that? Uh, it's really nice, actually. Now, it was originally eight years and they've nailed it down to five years to your path to citizenship. So right now, for instance, um, the last few months, we would have gotten it sooner, but we you would get our residency card first. So it's like your green card. It's like, okay, I'm here, I'm living, I'm, I'm legal. So it took us a while to get our final appointment, but they worked with our timeline. So we're getting a residency card, which gives us access to national health care. We also got private insurance, all that. So we have all that set up. Um, but the citizenship timeline is you get your residency first, um, then it's good for two years, no, three years, two years, and then you can apply for citizenship. It's like you renew it after a certain amount of years. So once you're here five years and you have to be here more than six months out of the year or some formula they have, um, you can apply to be a citizen within Portugal, which is part of the EU system. And uh, I think there's basic requirements. One of them is a little bit of language competency, but they may be playing with that that also. So it's now once you're established, you just wait the timeline out of five years. There's one, there's no other quick way around that. Um, you just have to, you know, and be here and be living. I was going to say, do you, because you have the card, do you have to reapply for like a visa or anything like that? Or is it just the card will bypass that? The card by because we had a 90 day visa to get here. So it gave okay. us a little bit more time than a normal traveler. It, that was waived because of COVID. So when we got here, they didn't require everybody that was in the country were good to at least October and then they extended that. Okay. So the country worked with the people that were here for immigrants and those of us that had immigration appointments because we had to wait a month and a half to redo it. The good thing is we didn't have to drive five hours to the appointment. We got to be in the same city. Oh, good. So, um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't that bad. And it was an easy process, but um, there's a lot of checkpoints and we won't go through this call because there's the bureaucracy here is a lot different than it is in the U.S. It's really, it depends on where you live in the city sometimes and what paperwork you need. It's really interesting. The one thing I also want to touch on really quick is uh, because, uh, in, and I think you had brought up healthcare. Um, I know here in the yes. States, like we have our HMOs and stuff like that. The only thing I remember from just in my travels over to Europe mm-hmm. is the pharmacies. You know, can you, those are very easily yeah. spotable. You know, they're always yes. with these green crosses that you can see everywhere you go. Um, yeah. What is the healthcare system like there and how does that exactly work? 
there's two things. There's the national healthcare system, which um, any resident or um, citizen will have access to once you get your residency mm-hmm. and you have your health number because there's like five different numbers you need your fiscal number, your tax number, your residence number, and then your health number. So they have all these fun little numbers all in the same system. But once you have that, you have access and we're covered automatically into emergencies for health uh, care. So if you need to go to the hospital and something major, we're, we don't have to worry. We're not going to come home with like thousands of dollars of bills. Okay. Um, so there's the national health care, which is overall, I mean, if you, that's all you can need, it could afford and it's basically free for you and you have minimal co-pays. Um, it's a good system where it lacks is when people need specialized treatment or what, you know, you need hip surgery. It's not an emergency. So you have to wait six months to get it versus if you get private health care, yeah. You have um, access to certain facilities a lot faster. The quality care in the national healthcare system is actually very, very good. It's just specialized things, especially when you get older and other pre-existing conditions. That's when you supplement your national healthcare with private insurance. Okay. Private insurance is overall, especially coming from the U.S., I want to say the word's dirt cheap, but it is very, very affordable. Even for the lowest amount, you get a, a good clinical care on a regular basis. We went for kind of the mid-range. Um, I think the, the advice I have for individuals, if they're coming from Portugal, it's probably applicable to some other countries, but looking at private health insurance, look at two things. One, um, depending on your age, your pre-existing um, needs, pre-existing conditions, if you will. Yeah. A lot of private insurance does not cover it. There is one we found that does after a year. Uh, that was a key for us. Not that we had any major health things, but you wanted to make sure anything that you were born with was covered later. A lot of private does not cover that, which was very okay. interesting. And the other plan for enrolling insurance, because you know when you get private insurance and you need to go do something, a lot of times there's a 60 or 90 day waiting period before you can activate all your benefits because they want to make sure people don't come over and say, oh, all of a sudden I have this thing, get all the surgery done and then back out of the insurance plan. Yeah. It's, it's, those are the big picture things. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's national health insurance, almost free, very accessible. And then your private one basically supplements the national health care. Okay. So, and what's nice about private and everything, it's good throughout the European Union and other countries. So, oh, nice. You know, yeah. So we'll have access to things, emergency coverage. So when we travel, unless we're going to the U.S., things like that, um, it'll be covered in all the EU system, if you will. So that's, you know, it's a really nice Excellent. Benefit tab. Yeah. <laughs> what about acclimation challenges? Anything that really stuck out to you? Um, I think that if I little we keep asking ourselves, what's the worst part of um, most challenging part about being here? And I think it goes back to, um, I mentioned before about there's a language barrier when your utilities are ordering things or having things delivered. It sounds like it should be really easy. No, it took us like 15 visits to get our, internet set up the right way, which was interesting. A lot of language barriers, ordering furniture. Part of it was COVID related because there was challenges with some shipping, but some of the companies are just super, super slow. Um, so I think the biggest is just having patience. Where can I get these things? I'm going to go get this and only have one of the three items I need. So it's that original conversation we had about what are your expectations to move? And you have to embrace what the country is and the process is. They don't move as fast. Um, the other one, I would say, it's not a challenge for us, but I want to mention people because a lot of Americans come over, and I'll say that. They come over with a preconceived idea of like, I'm going to go out and have a meal. Why are they taking so long to serve me? Most Latin countries, a lot of European countries, you go to dinner, lunch, you're there for a good couple hours. So relax. <laughs> Understand that's what it is, and we enjoy it, but sometimes we're like, we've been here four hours. We should really get the bill. Um and so that could be uh, some people are con saying that's so frustrating, but you need to relax and understand that's the culture here. 
So if I'm considering relocation, because it is something that's definitely, and we talked about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, yeah. originally I was thinking about Ecuador, you know, down the line or something like that. Because uh, again, yeah. in thinking about retirement, I can, I, you know, especially if I move into full-time instruction as opposed to the yeah. administration work that I do, you know, yeah. traveling the world is just something that I've always desire to do and maybe stay in like a year or two in one location or a year or two in another location. That's just visiting. But if I wanted to yeah. move to another place, like why, what are the pros of relocating to another country? I think the biggest pro you nailed it is if you're a traveler or an adventurer, um, depending where you go, like we come to Europe, you, you could create a base to discover a whole new set of cultures around you and march accessibility. So depending where you go, even if it's like Japan or something like that, yeah. I think that's a big pro. You, you take your life to the next level of enlightenment because um, we're always learning and it's the best way to learn about other places and history is to go live it and live in it. I think that's a big pro. And I think another pro is, you know, if you plan it right, you know, there could be definitely a financial benefit to that. Um, depending where you're going, that everything is cheaper uh, in some countries. But um, if you pick the right place and that's your intent, you can find places that are much more affordable. And I think the third thing is there is a sense of, safety and cover like for us this is a very safe country we know that our health is covered so those stresses you have especially in america where people work 68 hours a week unfortunately just to make ends meet yeah. um that pressures off and i can for me i can explore my writing and my my career in a much different path and that's a huge pro because my mind is in a different place to succeed for myself and my relationship and the relationship i have with friends and family <laughs> Excellent. What about as far as any cons for not being here in the U.S.? I think the cons, you know, we reviewed it, but especially in the time we're living in, and we won't say any more on that. Um, I think that we're looking back going, I'm really happy we're here and not in other places right now. There's a lot of strife going on. There's a lot of frustration. Um, Hopefully in a year or two, it won't be that way. I, I think the con for us personally is just, you know, the things you take matter of fact. Or, you know, I can just go get this here and I know where to get it now. It's like, okay, I need to get an extension cord. They don't have hardware stores necessarily. They do, but they don't. So what do you do to find those things? So it's acclimating to searching for certain things we're used to on a day-to-day basis. But we're stepping back and always saying, okay, that was clustering, but there's 15 other things that balance that. So I think maybe that's the biggest con for us is just not having the knowing everything that's around us. The conveniences. The conveniences, right. That'll eventually go away. And I think those cons will definitely uh, diminish as you live in a place longer, for sure. Okay, cool. And then in terms of any residual questions, like, uh, or I know, as we say, hindsight is twenty twenty. but are there any things uh-huh. that you really wish that you would have known before going over there that wasn't answered by the expat group or by any of the research I- you did previously? I think the biggest two things probably was someone to, you know, I would go back to the health insurance and getting that started earlier. So it wasn't much of a headache later or some things there. And the other would be, um, it sounds small, but we didn't talk about this, but you know, when you talk about your utilities, your, in your phone, we have new phones over here, new phone numbers over here, but we didn't port our number over and it's a really pain in the butt process to do. So if someone really said, no, really, really do before you leave the U S and people told me, and I was like, Hey, yeah, yeah, I'll do it later. Uh, if you want to keep a U.S. number and be less of a headache for everybody, especially if you have a business like myself, I'm still trying to figure out how to get my U.S. number hooked back up. Um, I think that was the biggest thing. Like, <laughs> wish someone says, don't forget, don't get on that plane till your number's ported. <laughs> I said, whatever. I said, whatever. I'll figure it out later, people. And then I look back going, seriously? That's uh, an easy thing. But, I mean, it's it's a small problem because I, I figured a way around it. So, I think other than that, I don't 
I don't think I had any other issues. I think it's because we came, we were the Packers, not the shippers. Yeah. We had no other regrets of what we brought or what we didn't bring because we knew we we're just going to build a new life here. I think there wasn't really any of the questions we had. We did our research. And I think when people say, what should I do before I go? I said, get to know an expat group, review your checklist and keep checking with yourselves as you're planning. Is it, you know, is everything going well? Is it what my expectations are? Look for red flags before you get any further in the process. Excellent. Well, I really want to thank you so much for sharing this information with myself and my students. It's been really insightful. I can tell you, I learned a lot and I really appreciate you taking the time Mm -hmm. to do this. Now, if people wanted to just get general information from you or if they Mm -hmm. were interested in just some of the work you do as far as your blog goes, um, Mm -hmm. the best place to find you is MDAB Travelers, which stands for? My dogs are barking. (laughs) (laughs) Because of all the walking you do. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, our blog, it's not officially launched, but I I think I can confidently say that October 2020, in the next week or two, it'll be live. We have blogs that we're setting up. So it it was a little delayed because of the move, but we have the Facebook site. So if if people want to come ask questions, I welcome them reach out, make a comment, reach out messenger. Um, you know, especially if you're coming to Portugal, but Europe in general, we know a lot of people over there. So we definitely love to engage with anybody looking for some resources. And then as we launch our blog, we'll definitely be sharing more. Our approach is a little different, um, but we're definitely like with you. We network with individuals like you because it's, it's a big process, whether you're vacationing, looking to change careers or move permanently. It takes a village and this village is worldwide now. Yeah. I, and I appreciate that. So thank you so much yeah. again for sharing that. Now, for my students that are out there, if you have any questions or any comments about this or any other topic, you can certainly send them also to me at scott at theprofessortravel.com. I can forward those on to Justin. Again, we want to make sure that those are being answered for you in a timely manner. If you are on YouTube right now and you want to be notified when new videos go up, hit the bell icon at the top in order to be notified of that. If you haven't already subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. It certainly it doesn't cost anything and it certainly helps out. And of course, if you like this content and you want to see more of it, give us a thumbs up and we'll be more than happy to do that. But if you are hearing us on a podcast, certainly feel free to give us a like, give us a rating. We really appreciate that. But until next time, make every day a travel adventure. Take care, everybody. Have a great one. Bye-bye now. The Professor Travel is a broadcast from Orange County, California. A transcript of each podcast may be requested by contacting The Professor Travel at his website, theprofessortravel.com. For opportunities to work with The Professor Travel, feel free to contact Scott at theprofessortravel.com or contact us through YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook at The Professor Travel or Twitter at TheProfessorTR1. Make every day a great day to have a travel adventure.